And so thank you so much for those who've tuned into this series, Cult Recovery Not Canceled. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, it's, it really has been a light to me personally, um, and I think to others during this really difficult time that's been going on right now. And I just, I wanted to thank our presenters who are here today, Cindy Matthews and Juliana. Um, thank you guys so much for being here, for spending some time um, with everything that's been going on. I just so appreciate you guys. And um, I'll just, for just a few more people who jumped on, please use the Q&A function today and not the chat. We will receive your questions that way. Um, I really appreciate you guys for being here and I will go ahead and turn the time over to you guys and we'll be around though. If any questions come through, I will jump in and let you know. Hey guys, uh, welcome Thank you. today. Thank you, Ashlyn. I appreciate that really uh, quite a bit. So I'm gonna start here and um, this is gonna be a conversation between Juliana and myself. So if you have questions during this, please feel free to um, type them in the, in the Q&A. So I'm Dr. Cindy Matthews. I teach at Southern Methodist University Counseling. I have a private practice. And I mostly do my research and work with people who have come out of high demand, religious organizations, high intensity faith groups, and also cults. Um, at SMU, we had this fantastic workshop planned for April 4th with nine speakers, and we were going to be talking about spiritual abuse in particular, and how that can happen in high-demand organizations, fundamentalist religious organizations, and we had nine wonderful speakers. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to take at least four and have a conversation with them, or I am, and uh, talk about some of the topics. We're hoping that the conference can be in September. September 19th, I think is the date. Is that right, Juliana? I'm not sure. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's something I, like I that. I don't think I received the, the specific date, but September it is. <laughs> okay, yeah, sometime in September. We'll get, we'll get the word out there. So we're going to have a conversation today about um, just the, what's happening for those who are XLDS, um, kind of the crisis and some of the triggers that are going on. This is Juliana Viegas. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, Juliana? All right, I'm Juliana. Um, I was born and raised in Belgium. I grew up um, as an active member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, and then I um, left uh, the faith about five years ago. Um, we'll talk more about this, but really to know my, my story, you can feel free to Google my name, maybe not now, listen to us because we're here, but um, later you can Google my name, Juliana Viegas, formerly Juliana Viegas Haas, um, and I have a ton of information about my face crisis, face transition. I'm also the host of the Face Transition podcast where I tell my story um, and interview other people. Um, I started this a few months ago and I'm going to keep doing it uh, to allow more people to tell their stories and uh, it's very therapeutical. Um, I live in Dallas and uh, I also lead a group once a month um, called Thrive. It's the North, North Dallas uh, Thrive Support Group uh, for people who leave their faith and, and it's, a, it's, it's a, a crisis for them or they, they're having a hard time with the transition. It allows them to um, you know, share their stories. A lot of times they're surrounded with people who are still uh, believers and they cannot really share where they're at in the journey. It's very painful. Uh, they're struggling with different um, 
situations at home or personally. And so we, it gives us space, a safe space to, to share, you know, where, where they're at in the journey and how we can move forward. So I don't know what else <laughs> to oh, say. I'm going to be, I'm going to be yes. asking you a lot of questions yes. and yeah. as people have questions. Is, Yes, I studied international relations, international politics. I lived in, you know, around the world, uh, Switzerland, uh, Singapore. My family is very international, so pretty much all over the world. And I kind of kept up with everyone um, on a daily basis now with COVID-19. So I, I talk to about four different continents uh, every day. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you. So just those who might be triggered or want to say, hey, the LDS faith, the Mormon faith isn't a cult or an abusive organization. Um, I just want to validate the experience of those who have had that abuse there and those who haven't. Um, that's your story that each of us has a story and so i thought i was in the lds faith for 43 years uh, or i was mormon for 43 years and i came out of it i found it particularly abusive towards me and towards many people around me others did not and that's fine i want to validate those experiences both of them so anytime you find yourself saying yeah but that wasn't my experience that's okay that's your experience it was ours and somehow maybe we can kind of connect and join with things that were triggering, were hard, and, and work through that, especially at this time of COVID-19 um, worldwide pandemic. So first of all, um, so like I was saying, we are going to redo the Spiritual Abuse Conference in September. Uh, I, I just want to define spiritual abuse for just a second, um, and it happens often in fundamentalist organizations, high demand organizations. And those are kind of the organizations where the power and the control is centralized at one place. Um, and that can become very abusive. So spiritual abuse is really, it's two things that, that become abusive. One is the leader can be an abusive person, narcissistic, um, and it can be any religion <laughs> that you have a narcissistic controlling abusive leader. The other thing is the doctrines can be used to be spiritually abusive. So for example, doctrines against LGBTQ, uh, doctrines against women being told to submit all the time, doctrines against um, certain ethnicities. For example, um, before 1978 in the LDS church, it was blacks in the priesthood and blacks weren't as, um, as valiant. I think that's what Bruce R. McConkie said, they weren't as valiant in, in the, the pre-existence. So those kind of doctrines can be used abusively towards certain groups. And then the ultimate spiritual abuse is you get a spiritual leader who uses um, the doctrines to be, to be spiritually abusive at the same time. And that, that can be yelling, that can be sexual abuse, physical abuse, that can be ignoring, um, that can be so many different things that can be utilized to undermine the person as a whole and kind of block um, that, that spiritual leader often stands in the way from a personal relationship with a deity, a god, or whatever spiritual connection that person is looking for. So um, talking about spiritual crisis of faith, um, that usually happens when somebody realizes that happens. Juliana, what kind of led to your crisis of faith of leaving the LDS church? Just kind of get background story and then we can start talking about other things. Mm -hmm. um, I think. Um it's like I said, I mean, you know, if you, if you want more details on the whole story, you can, you can go back and Google my name and I, I tell the full story. I think I, I lived um, 
with cognitive dissonance, which I learned even that term after, uh, you know, when I started my faith crisis, meaning that there were things, first of all, my mother joined the church in Belgium when I was about four, four years old, four or five years old. So I grew up in this faith, you know, I, I knew nothing else. Um, it was actually a good environment. Like I was never personally, uh, I, I never felt abused or anything like that or, or not seen. My, my story is pretty different from other people who may have had direct um, confrontation or, <clears throat> you know, conflicts. I, I, I didn't have that. I quite frankly had a very happy childhood in the church. I, I had a very happy um, experience. Um, <clears throat> I went on a mission for the LDS church. I served a mission on Temple Square. So I was really full on. I was serving. I had several leadership positions. Um, and I really enjoyed my, my relationship with everyone around me. I still have many friends who are still in, in you know, uh, active members. So what, uh, what happens for me was more... Um, gradual i would say at, at the beginning um and coming out of a mindset where you do not contradict the prophet anything that comes from the leaders is you know word of god you don't go against that anything that comes at you that may slightly um negate or contradict you should reject uh you know directly and and there you have a, a red flag already which of course, at the time, I wasn't able to see that because no one should ever be, um, you know, told not to look at information. Information is information. You do what you will with it. But to say, you know, uh, at least when I was growing up, and I know it's the case for many people I know and I've discussed with um, who have, you know, left the church or whatnot. But um, don't touch, don't look. You know, I had, I mean, I grew up, my, the rest of my family wasn't, my mother was a member, my sister I had a, a brother who was in and out, but the rest of my extended family, no one was member of this, you know, particular faith. And so they would sometimes come up with information that they had found and say, hey, you should look at this. And, and I would just reject it and block and say, no, it's anti, it's against us. Uh, I would say that I grew up with this kind of victim mentality where, um, you know, we were like this chosen, persecuted people even though I'm not even pioneer stuck, but I, I related to that and I associated with that where people want us out and gone. And so we are this, you know, this chosen people and uh, people are against us kind of a bit like, you know, I, I know that in the Mormon faith, we like to kind of compare ourselves to the Jewish people, which I have issues with that, but because there was some persecution, but it, it doesn't amount what happened with the Jewish people. And, um, so basically I grew up like this, right? And I was very fervent. I was a true believing. I, you know, I, I can't even say I, I could have, I could have given my life for the church as far, you know, I could have gone to war to defend it. I mean, this is how deep <laughs> I was in. And so what my, so I'm divorced, but my ex-husband, um, he went through a phase crisis where he started questioning a lot of things prior to me, a couple of years before me. And when it happened to him, he tried to come and share some things, but I was completely uh, close to it. Just like um, I was saying, anything that was going to talk against the church, I did not want to listen to. I did not want to, you know, bring in. And I think subconsciously, now I know looking, you know, uh, from the outside um, with hindsight, subconsciously, it's, it's a terrifying thing to even 
begin to question your foundation that you've stood on your whole life. I mean, it's, a, it's a, even a thought that when you really are deep in it, you don't even want to go there because it's so frightening, even not knowing what could happen. But subconsciously, I think you put a block to anything that would want to come in and destroy that because, um, I mean, it, it's just scary. Don't know what's going to happen. So basically, he went through his faith crisis kind of alone. He read uh, um, Rough Stone Rolling, which at the time, back in 2009, I mean, it came out earlier, but he read it around 2009, 2010, um, was kind of an eye-opener open, to him. Um, so he goes through that, goes through major depression, major questioning, just awful time. And I just find all sorts of other reasons why he was upset of course you know every relationship has issues and every human have problems so i wouldn't say you know i wouldn't recognize that it was maybe the church or his you know his faith or, or losing faith causing this this deep depression you know? and so that went on and somehow we we got through that um and then at the time we lived in switzerland and a friend of mine uh, came there i mean a friend that I, I met there she was from utah she was the daughter of some you know high uh ranking i would say you know relief society general you know person like her mother was had had a a, a high a calling in the church and she was a total feminist disagreed with so many things and and i mean she's pioneer stuck and everything very much uh, ingrained in the in the you know utah culture but she was also very much in touch with herself and her feelings and her thoughts and you know and and so she would contradict a lot the leaders and say hey the young woman should have the same as the young men or we should be having you know a say in this these decisions that are being made and so wow. basically she she was going against the grain to the point where she couldn't agree with anyone anymore and decided to you know remove herself and was shunned and criticized and the family was just awful to her to her so when she told me her story when she came to Switzerland because of course it's it's a slow process she was she was continuing to go to church trying she loved the music she's a beautiful singer um and and she missed that so i met her in fact uh, at church uh in switzerland and we were also running buddies and so i was wondering because i'm you know i'm like how could you know such a good person and she was you know if you saw her you would call you would say oh she looks so mormon in a way because she's just super nice and you know, there's a look it's in there yes there is a look and and it's fine i mean I, you know but like you would be totally surprised that she's not you know active and whatnot and so i started i started asking her questions and digging and she started saying things like oh you know joseph smith is not quite the person you think he is and you know, you should, and, and I was really just perturbed, you know, by the things she would say, but yet oh, intrigued. Oh, surprised, I'm sure. You must have been so and, surprised. And, um, you know, she's saying, well, I, I disagree, you know, with the prophets. I disagree. And that was like, oh, that, that must have been mind-blowing yeah, for you. At the time, it's like, how can someone disagree? You no know? one's like, allowed to do that. He's like the untouchable, you know, like, um, and so she opened up my mind a little because I was curious um i wanted to understand and also her family treating her so poorly her, mm -hmm. her mother saying things like 
you know, it would have been better for you not to be born that, you know, kind of shaming our family like that, you know, because the picture perfect family is always for some. Well, and the shaming, super important. Kind of, the shaming comment of it, it would have been better for you to never have been born. Yeah. I mean, the stuff that was going on. And so, so that happened, which caused me to, um, and, and, you know, like I say in my story, so I did the Mormon stories with John Dellen and, and it's a bit, it's little trickle here, little trickle there. It's not just one thing, right? It's, it's many things. Uh, and in, you know, for people who are, you know, ex-Mormon or whatnot, like we, we, we like to call it the shelf, you know, we have this shelf and we start putting things on that shelf, you know, that bother us, but we're like, okay, I'm not going to dig into that, but I'm a little bothered by that. And you keep building that shelf. And at some point, that shelf becomes so heavy that it breaks. I mean, you just can't take it anymore. And for me, so she was kind of the, a bit of the trigger of my questioning. And then I also had read um, uh, Carolyn Jessup's book, uh, Escape, right? And she wrote uh, Escaping from the FLDS. And that was actually a few years, a couple of years prior to me meeting this friend I'm talking about, I read the book uh, Escape by Carolyn Jessup, leaving the FLDS community. I knew just about nothing about them. I knew the name and I knew they were polygamous and I knew they were weird, but I never dug into, sorry, like, I, I don't mean that. No, <laughs> I mean, it's just I, funny I you weird. say weird, but so many of the things that Mormon yeah. LDS do are weird too. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. yeah, so reading that book opened my eyes to the similarities mm -hmm. that these people had and we had as mainstream LDS people. And I was shocked. I'm like, oh my... And, because I had already heard of priesthood abuse. You know, I'm the priesthood leader, listen to me, women being psychologically, even physically abused, but you know, it's their fault because the priesthood leader has the last word and has the, you know, the power of God. So, you right. know, and I had observed several situations like that already, which had upset me to the, you know, to my core. So that was, that was linked super heavy on my shelf, like the, the, the priesthood, you know, women being kind of lower and um, not overtly, because it's always, oh, we're equal, we're equal, but, you know, just sit there and let us make the decision kind of thing, right? Um, so there were things that were bothering me. And so when I read that book, I saw so many similarities as far as like, you know, the, the keep sweet mentality just creeped me out of women are supposed to just kind of follow, be, you know, very submissive and um, it, it's not, it wasn't as overt, overt in, um, just for everyone, French is my native language. So if I say things weirdly at times, <laughs> that, that's the reason, um, you probably noticed the accent too, but, um, so yeah, I could see the similarities and that creeped me out. In fact, I remember posting on Facebook, everyone should read this book because guys, we need to pay attention because we're not too far from that and if we don't pay attention you know and then, yeah I I remember reading that book and giving it to my mom because I was really creeped out by it too mm -hmm. I gave it to my mom hoping that she would see how creepy it is and how similar it was and yes. all, she did, all she did was say oh they're so weird and it was like don't you see yeah the, <laughs> yes and it's, I think a lot of people do that and I think we do as human beings like we tend to not turn the mirror towards ourselves like it's mm -hmm. easy to say oh yeah they're so weird but you know we have nothing to do with this but right and so 
it, you know, the, the ball started rolling. It started like a small little snowball of, you know, issues I had, and it just kept on rolling bigger and bigger. Um, somehow, maybe she told me about it, or oh, I don't know how I came across. Um, I came across the Mormon stories uh, with John Dillon because I started questioning a lot of things at that point. You know, I was, I was starting to question, um, a lot of things came at the same time, you know, life goes on, you go through the ups and downs and relationship issues. And I read all these books that are, uh, mind, you know, opening or, uh, help you question. I, I read the, the road less traveled. Mm-hmm. Um, I read Brené Brown, you know, uh, books and she was actually a real, she, um, a key person in, in my uh, face questioning and face transition because the whole, you know, be authentic, be yourself, be, you know, have that courage to, mm-hmm. you know, listen to your inner voice and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I decided to go on that journey to, to be like, okay, what is it I really want to believe? Or, or like, why do I not listen to these triggers or this, you know, cognitive dissonance. So this unease I fell inside, like, what is it? And so the more I, I, I start digging into that, wanting to be my authentic self, wanting to express myself the way I am, disagree if I want to disagree. And then uh, on, on the other hand, I started listening to uh, Mormon stories. Um, the reason, oh my goodness, it kind of all came almost at the same time it's 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 it seems it sounds a bit jumbled because it was a bit jumbled at the time um somehow i come across i came across the um lgbtq you know uh mormons who are and now it's like a few years and i can't think i should have written it down i can't think of the page but there there was this page of mormon uh you know lgbtq kids who were testifying about their experience. No, you're talking about Facebook, right? A Facebook page you came across? It was a website. It was a website. It was a website. And I don't know how I came across that. Um, But they talk about the experience, you know, growing up as gay and lesbians in the church, and they still want to hold on to their faith. But you read those stories. I don't know if it's called like There Is Hope or something like that. I'll find it. I'll find out. And um, Mm -hmm. What, when you talk, I will look it up and then come up with it. But <laughs> you're good. <laughs> and I read these stories, and I my heart just is ripped apart because they were not even complaining per se, because they were like, yeah, you know, they were kind of accepting the fact that you know it's their burden in life, and but then they talk about their experience with the, their bishop telling them things that are very damaging, and I was just. And I read every single one of their stories and I it's, was just... It's so heartbreaking to read the I stories. I was just ripped. Yeah. I was ripped. And I'm like, no, I can't. Um, this is just... I can't agree with this. And so I started disagreeing. I wasn't leaving per se, but I started disagreeing overtly and out right. loud with so many different things to the point where, you know, there, there was kind of like the Mormon moment, right? There was a Kate Kelly coming out and John Dellin being excommunicated and all these things. And and maybe that's when I started looking at what is it, you know, why are these people such a threat? You know, like why can they not have that discussion? All they wanted is, is to have an audience with the leaders yeah. and see. Let's have a conversation. Know, express, yeah, express. And, and, and all they were doing is portraying them as, you know, crazies, uh, which yeah, some of the stuff were a bit out there, but you know what? Just talk to them. 
like yeah. talk to them, see just what they have want a instead conversation. of conversation, just see what's going on for them. Instead of rejecting, you know, uh, the whole thing. And, um, and I had started to listen to Mormon stories, you know, to John Dellen and I, it was actually helping me like kind of stay at the, mo at the time for some reason, because like, okay, I can be a nuanced, you know, there is some weird stuff, but you know, I was kind of okay for a, for a minute with, there's it's, a lot of weird of things. A, it's kind of a phase we go through of, oh, we see mm -hmm. stuff and it's like, oh, maybe we can be that person that helps the LGBTQ individuals. Maybe we can be right. the person who helps the women. Or, or more or nuanced. Or, and, yeah, know, but, I can do this. I can be nu nuanced before the shelf just kind of goes like, nah, can't. For some, because some are still there. And, and I admire, to be honest, the people who are in. I think Julie de Azevedo is one of them. Like she's in, but she's doing a whole lot of work to help people struggling with some, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and and there, are, there are a few that, you know, I know people who are in, but they're doing this work of helping those who are like, this is this is really a struggle you know? right because there's a lot of damage that's happening yes like, those who can stay and work within that good for them and then there's those of us who are like not nah, can't do it got it got yes. those who have been damaged and are yes leaving. and to be honest for me um and then of course you know one of my ex um uh, well, I'll, I'll go to this. My, my ex is also gay, but his, he wasn't out for, you know, a long time. And, and, but his sister came out uh, years ago around maybe 2007, eight or something like that. And at the time when she came out, I was super, I was a super believer, right? I was super, super Mormon. And I was upset with her, not for being a lesbian but because you know she was in utah you know super mormon utah Layton, four daughters you know they were like this picture perfect family and then this happened and i was just so upset that in my opinion she should have waited for the kids to grow up and leave the house and then she could have lived her life you know oh so she should have just kept that to herself yes that was her burden yes. to live with like instead of being authentic to, to make a sacrifice yeah mm. but i mean okay. yeah i i i've learned in the in you know after that you know I, i've learned that that's not something you should require of anyone but um no but that that is the mormon thinking everyone has right their burden. they have to be selfless and keep their burden to themselves right keep you know, the and, kind of a deep, sweet mentality, right. narrow kind of thing. Right, right, right. You just sacrifice. You do what you got to do. It doesn't matter if you're unhappy. And so my reaction was completely off. I, um, she, we used to be really, really good friends. I mean, we, we are now, but at the time, you know, before she came out, we were really good friends. I mean, to the point where we would have given our kids to them uh, if we passed, you know, because we were that close and, you know, they were like, this picture perfect family and i stopped talking to her like for years mm -hmm. i was so upset um and later on i mean i i did apologize when i you know i had my change of heart and change of mindset and recognized my my stupidity uh, i mean i did came out and 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 apologize but um so she had been out and uh, so when I read all these stories of the, the, the gay kids in the church uh, growing up in such pain and whatnot, like that's when the, the coin, you know, fell for me. And I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, what, a, you know, what kind of reaction did I have and what kind of suffering she must have gone through also growing up in this, you know, community that was not 
supportive at all of, you know, uh, LGBTQ kids. I mean, they've made slight efforts in the past years now recently, but prior to that, I mean, the, the things that were said about gay people mm -hmm. and the conversion, conversion therapy, which I learned about, I mean, just appalling <laughs> actions <laughs> and all these things made it so, yeah, I could not belong to this church anymore. I mean, there were so many, and, and of course, you know, as you read my, my story and, and I started writing when I came out, uh, op-eds in, in the Salt Lake Tribune and, and expressing why, because I had been so active in the church. I had worked for the church, for the, the church education system. I've served a mission on Temple Square. I knew hundreds and hundreds of people and I did not want people to speculate about why I was leaving or think, oh, she just want to sin and she just want to, you know, live like a worldly life and drink and have sex. And which whatnot, is which, kind of the thought that we're, that it, which who cares? Yeah, it's who like, cares? But that wasn't the reason. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I wanted, to, I, you know, some people live through this in silence and a lot of pain. And that's why I'm doing, again, what I'm doing with those support group, because I, I don't want people to do that you know I mean I think everyone should know that they can at least you know if I can if I can catch someone and make the fall and the hurt a little bit less uh, painful you know I, I will I will have accomplished something because I know how painful it is I've been through it it's super painful um, I was loud about it because <laughs> I'm just loud <laughs> so where do you think that pain is coming from that as uh, go ahead sorry no, go ahead. So where, where's that pain coming from that it's like, this is so painful, so much so that you want to help catch other people? Where do you think the pain is coming from as the crisis of faith happens? What's going on, do you think? I mean, you, the, be or? the betrayal, and, I, and I'm just repeating, you know, as I talk to now hundreds of people and, and communicate with hundreds of people since I've, I mean, it's been since 2015 now, about five years that I've come out and come out um, publicly and written all the things. So I've been in contact with a lot of people, hundreds of people. Um, and the pain comes from the betrayal, the betrayal of not telling the truth. And now the church is trying to gaslight, you know, you've seen, they come up with those essays and this and that, because just the wave of people saying, Hey, you did not say that to me when I was in primary. You did not say that Joseph Smith translated the book of Mormon in a hat with a stone and never had the plates in his hands or in the room. Like, why did you show me that picture of Joseph Smith, you know, uh, with these beautiful golden plates and, you know, all these things that we grew up with explain a certain way, you know, and anchored in our brain. And we believe just like you believe in Santa Claus, but we never woke up from it. Um, and then you realize, you know, how, how stupid was I? I mean, there's this, this sense of like, you know, I'm an educated person <laughs> when to go. And even if you haven't, like you, you, you know, most people think of themselves as somewhat educated or, you know, not blind followers, but you realize that basically you've been a blind follower that you, you know, and then, you know, some will come and say, oh, you should have done your research and this and that. I mean, how many time, how many hours do we spend in church every Sunday as LDS? Three hours. Mm -hmm. And in these three hours, you're not capable of telling the truth about the history of the right. church. And you, you just tell all these stories of Emma being crazy when no, she wasn't crazy. She was sick and tired of her husband philandering and, and, and lying about, you know, all these, these, you know, young girls that he would have sex with and whatnot. I mean, and, and then, you know, it's all that gaslighting. No, Emma, it's Emma again. It's the woman who had the problem. She was right. probably mentally, you know, 
a little bit not there or whatnot. No, right. she was freaking upset that her husband was just yeah. crazy. <laughs> I'd like to make a comment real quick too, based off of a question. Well, it wasn't so much a question, but just kind of affirmation of what you're saying, Juliana. Um, they said most cultic groups say that you leave because of the world, you know, either sex, drugs, et cetera, mm -hmm. kind of like what you were saying. Um, but in reality, most of the time, the cultic group and their behavior pushes you out. Um, this person mentioned this is a conclusion that Dr. Josie McSkimmon made in her book, Leaving Christian Fundamentalism. Um, I just thought that that was such a appropriate comment for what you were saying and talking about how you wanted people to know that that weren't like that wasn't the factors that actually pushed you out like you actually mm -hmm. had an informed opinion you know yes <laughs> but yes, they, thank they you. do like thank to you, justify it to say oh it's because something's wrong with you right. but they never take ownership to say something is wrong with the church something right. is wrong with the group that's happening mm -hmm. within it I'm absolutely thrilled that um, you all are doing some scholarly research on, you know, the process of all this and the abuse and, and, and how it's done because, you know, it sounds, you know, me telling my opinion, even with, you know, hundreds of thousands of other people who, who think like this and, I mean, have experienced this, but it's all they say, I said, and, you know, they try to, to, to put it down as it's just their opinion. And I am so thrilled and excited to see more and more scholarly research on all of these mechanisms of you know abusing and i mean i did watch that um <laughs> that show that you were mentioning wild, wild 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 country it's it's maybe a bit more extreme but you know what the processors are the same like you just trap a group you kind of you know kind of brainwash them you feed them you know they you give you you show off your money and and your you what you can acquire it's very difficult when you speak up against super powerful i mean it's like you're kicking a giant i realize that anytime i open my mouth or say something i disagree with i realize i'm kicking a giant i do not care you know i remember people like uh victor frankel in the midst of you know concentration thing it, he did not care that everyone around us hated him and wanted wanted him dead he still kept control of his mind and and what he wanted you know uh i mean to me he's like the epitome of you know, and, and people like uh, Carolyn Jessup, I mean, people like um, Amber Scora, who left the witness, you know, when you, you read her story, you find out about her story. There is this, this thing, and, and some, you know, some, again, I, I don't want to, I don't like to be like us and them, because that, that was the, the church mentality. Yeah, that's the church mentality, in you know, and us out. And and them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. But as a human, you decide who's going to be in control of your self yeah. are you going to be in control of yourself or are you going to let someone else or an institution or you know your parents politics whatever it is i mean we are bombarded from the moment we were born with opinions with this is how you should be and think and, and whatnot and today quite frankly i'm uh, i know i'm i know i'm a little bit all over the, the place here but i'm so glad that i left when my kids were young because mm -hmm. now i can tell my children to question everything even me and mm -hmm. to you know i put philosophy books in front of them and say just find out you know yes i can tell you what i think but i want you to figure out read and find out and what do you think what do well, you want to believe because at the end I of the day we choose what we want to believe well, and I think that's one of the lies that I was told in the church um, is that you 
through personal revelation, you can find out your truth mm-hmm. and what's important for you. But the lie is, it's only good if it matches what the oh, authorities have said, the church has said, your leaders have said. So it's, oh, my gosh. They, they just kind of pass <laughs> it off as, yeah, you get personal revelation for your own life. Yeah, you can, you can figure out if the church is true, but if you are in disagreement, yeah, you then, are then wrong. Yes, it's, a, it's the biggest lie. There is no personal revelation. That is complete bullshit because as soon as you're like, I don't, my revelation is different than what the prophet says. It's like, well, you, you're in the wrong, you know, you like, yeah. crazy, you're crazy like Emma. Just go. <laughs> Something's wrong <laughs> with you. Go where Emma is. <laughs> well, and you talk about kicking against the giant. We are, we did kick against the giant. However, that giant thought that they were supported by God, because I think some of them actually do believe it. Oh, and, probably, and, yes. And, and it gives them all the more power to think, I have this God. Um, and it's the the easiest way it's the easiest way and it and it it works for any religion I'm sorry guys who are listening who are uh, you know religious I would say because I consider myself spiritual non-religious but I think it's the same with every religion just about you know Um, yeah God is ultimately you know it's 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 convincing you that you are the vessel for God and then you can't contradict that because you know, I'm, I'm the vessel for God. I'm God's spokesperson. Yeah, I am you God's spokesperson. You can't contradict me. Yeah. How about um, be your own? <laughs> like so Chris, Christy, Christy has a really good question here. Um, and I'm going to go And Hi, Christy. Good to see you. Um, I believe she's practicing LDS right now. She's an awesome person. I love okay. her. And she's asking what our support system when we left the church, what was that like? And what our spiritual beliefs are now. And that's one mm-hmm. of the questions we're going to be asking too. Um, but um, did you have a support when you left? What was your support, Juliana? Well, I think I'm a little bit different than maybe some other people that I know struggle with that because I've, I've talked to a lot of people. And this is, a, again, why I do this group Thrive. And uh, we have, uh, as you know, in Dallas, we have the Dallas Era Mormon in Transition Group, which provides that community and support for those uh, who want it and need it, uh, that they can reach out to people and, and we try to do activities and things like that. But as far as I'm concerned, I mean, I've moved around so much. I'm very adaptable and flexible. I have kids. So I have a lot of things that facilitate. uh, I'm pretty um, outgoing too. And I'm in the mindset that if you want to create a community or have friends or whatnot, I mean, you have to work at it. You can't just be at home sitting and waiting for people to knock at your door and be like, can I be your friends? Or, you know, do you want to be, join my group? So and it's an I, active participation. It's an act. Yes. I mean, be creative. Um, today, I mean, we're in 2020. There is so much, I mean, it's COVID-19 now and we're quarantined, but I mean, you go to a meetup group or you go find out what you like to do. I mean, have some hobbies or whatever, or, or start something that you've always wanted to do. But if you like to dance or to, to hike or to bike or whatever, go find that group, go find those people. They are out there and they've done the same thing as you. They, they went and found who is it out there that likes to do the same thing I do. Um, you know, so everywhere I, I've been, oh, sorry. No, I was going to ask you a question. So your spiritual beliefs now, how is that helping you through COVID-19 right now? So what are your spiritual beliefs and how is that helping, helping you right now? Because I know when I was in the church, it was very much look to your leaders, okay. um, all that kind of stuff. You know, as far it, as community goes? Yeah, yeah, as community and spiritual beliefs. How is that helping you through COVID-19? How is that bringing you any kind of peace? 
wait, what the, the, my spiritual, where I stand spiritually, how is that yeah. bringing me some peace? Yeah. I so maybe you, uh, mm-hmm. go ahead. So I think I've already done that work uh, prior to all of this happening. I've also gone through a lot of crisis <laughs> in this past couple of years, including losing my mom a couple of months ago. So I am, I mean, this is, I'm not in a panic mode or whatnot. I mean, I did lose my job and, but I'm just calm because um, I've learned to just adapt to whatever situations comes at me and be in charge and in control of, of my, my reactions and, and my emotions. And that's where I focus because what I can't change around me, I can't change. And then starting to, to, you know, panic about it. If I, I know I don't have a year food supply and maybe have, you know, a month's worth, you know, but I just, I have faith in life. I have faith in people. And you know what, if I need, if I have to die, I'm going to die, whether it is crossing the street or whatever. Like, I think people need to chill about that. And, and I know I'm, I'm, and I'm saying this as someone who knows on a deep level and has been, and still is in, in pain. Like I'm not showing that part now, but, uh, because of the loss uh, of, you know, my mother. And then my, one of my close friends just lost her father. Uh, someone I knew from who served in Belgium just passed away. I mean, I am basically getting acquainted with death in a way that, you know what, it will happen when it happens. Nobody knows when it will happen. So, you know, yes, I mean, be, be wise and try to do, um, you know, what is, uh, what is necessary for your family and whatnot, but there is just so many things we're not in control of right now. Right. So what so, do you believe spiritually right now? Do you believe in God? Do you believe in an afterlife? Where, where are you right now in terms of those beliefs? It's, it's difficult for me to express what I believe because I don't, you know, I've tried atheism and it didn't suit me. <laughs> I, I, I actively tried <laughs> to believe in nothing. I don't like to use the word God a lot because it puts me in the religious category, but I guess we need to use words in order to understand each other. I don't like, and you know, I, I recently watched a comedy, um, this guy who's like, he, he just makes a lot of jo- jokes about spirituality and whatnot, but he says, whether you call it God or the universe, at the end of the day, it's the same thing you're talking about. This, this, you know, greater power and whatnot. And so I do believe in some kind of greater power that, you know, helps me wake up in the morning and have faith that things are going to be okay. And, you know, it's beyond me. Like there's something beyond me. I don't know what to call it. And, and I don't really care to, you know, have specification. Like, I think, I think that's what creates conflicts with religion and people. It's like, everyone wants to be right in how it's described and defined and how it looks like and where it lives in which kingdom on, you know, we don't know shit about all that. So, so for you, it's okay to be ambiguous. It's, and it's very ambiguous, but it's real. Mm. So I don't know. I don't know. It's real. Just like I was, um, because I observe things in my life. Like for example, a couple of months ago, maybe two or three months ago, I reconnected with these childhood friends. You know, one lives in DC, one lives in Belgium. We grew up together in Belgium, but we hadn't talked for years and years and years. And then all of a sudden we reconnect and we're so super excited. And now we've been talking every day. And they were there when I lost my mother a couple of months ago. They knew my mother and they were the biggest support because they knew her and they loved her, you know, 
and they just lost their father recently. They didn't know it. I mean, he was sick, but they didn't know it was going to happen so soon. But we didn't know this was going to happen. When we reconnected, we didn't know, you know, I was going to lose my mother. We didn't know they were going to lose their father. And the fact that we were able to reconnect at this time and be there for each other is something we can't explain. And to mm. me, that's the beauty of, and that's what I call spirituality, or the fact that, for example, when my mother passed away, you know, I started reaching out to different people to let them know. Um, and I used, um, I, I think I told you that story before, but I used a, a music um, for the funeral that was a mixture. My mother was born in the Congo uh, and then um, married a Belgian and so moved to Belgium. And that's how I was born there. But she was born in the Congo from a Portuguese father and a Congolese mother. And I used the music um, from... Um, Kurt Bester, he's a Utah, very good, very great artist. Um, and I had used his music for my wedding, but I also, I used it for her wedding because it's a mixture of classical music and African uh, beats, African uh, sounds. And it was just perfect for her and her life because she had been, you know, she had been in Africa, but she also had been in, in the West. And it was kind of this mixture that represented her life. And so we played that. And so I reached out to that friend who had introduced me to that music and said, hey, thank you so much. You know, my mom passed away. She also knew her because she served her mission in Belgium. So she knew my mother. And I shared with her that I um, had shared that music um, that she had shown me years and years ago. And she was like, wow, this is amazing. Um, you know, of course, condolences and all that. Uh, because I was on a cruise just a month ago and Kurt Bester was on the boat, on the cruise. And we talked and I mean, just these weird coincidences that brings mm -hmm. people together in some strange ways. To me, that is my spirituality that I honor, that it, I It's unexplainable. Uh, yeah, it's mm -hmm. unexplainable, but you don't feel the need to explain yeah. it. Right, say. right, right. And you can call it coincidence and this and that. And science sometimes is a bit harsh on like the way it wants to be, you know, also very square about everything. I mean, science first, don't get me wrong. Like I'm going to listen to science before I listen to anything else. But I also don't like the rigidity sometimes that do not allow, you know, um, experiences that you can't explain. And I've had a ton of those. Again, I am not a religious person. I don't like I don't have the need to, to like pray or whatever. I meditate every day, but to me that's, um, it is spiritual, but it is also very much, you know, scientifically proven that it's very good for you. And I'm a proof of that. I mean, it helped me through my faith crisis, my faith transition. It helps me now during this crisis. That's why I'm so calm. Like I lost my job. I just lost my mother. Not that it was easy. It was the worst thing that ever happened to me. And I was a mess, but but because of meditation and exercise and those things that I choose to do in my life, um, I can handle hardship now, um, you know, and, and I try not to, I mean, I use the tools I have to, to cope with things around me. So, so do you think you're um, handling them better now than when you were in the LDS church to deal with it, deal with the hardships or what do you think? I think so. I think so. Why? Because, well, I didn't have these kind of hardships, but I had hardships like, you know, just more like in my couple and, you know, being a new mom and stuff like that. But I think, oh my gosh, there's just so it's, it's like my head has been cleaned up. It's like this, it's like this attic full of crap and, and like stuff like full. That's now how I can describe it the best, but it's like this 
100-year-old, you know, person who has amassed a whole bunch of stuff in her attic. And when I left the church, I cleaned up that attic. And now it's like minimalist. It's clean. It's, there is only what I want there. So you really can get in touch with that authentic self and yes. not be like, there's all this yes. other stuff. You should do this. Oh you gosh. should do this. Yes. Yes. It's, yes. I would trade that for nothing in the world. Nothing. It's, mm-hmm. yes. That's where I want to be. You know? So after I left, um, my mom passed away and, and a number of things happened that were tough. And that was um, seen by family members who are still LDS. They said, see, God is punishing you. This is mm-hmm. punishment for you. Is that something, um, and, and that's called magical thinking. If good things happen, you're doing good. If bad things happen, you're doing bad. That kind of thinking. Did you have that kind of experience of, um, of when bad things happen, people were saying, see, you should be doing this or, or what no. was your experience with the good and the bad? Happening? I haven't, I haven't had anyone say that to me, but I know it's a mentality that members of the church that are very believing can have not everyone I don't want I don't like to put everyone in the same bag because again I have a ton of wonderful friends if they ever listen to this uh, that are very believing Mormons that I adore um, and they're they're more open-minded because you know if you're my friends you have to be a little more open-minded but um, so not everyone's like that but I know I felt like that so that means many others did I know I thought okay you know but now it doesn't even me because I can always point out to someone very active in the church who has a, lo- a whole load of crap happening to them, whether it's cancer or their, their kids dying or whatever, you name it. It happens. What happens out of the church happens in the church. And I can easily point, like, point it out. So to me, it means nothing at all. <clears throat> I mean, that, that's just, again, it's, it's almost like a super, superstition, you know, like your garments are going to save you from an accident or whatever. No, people have died with their garments on, like stuff that, you know, it's all, ah, it's just, it, they're all little ways to control people. And these stories that, you know, perpetrate themselves, it's just so annoying because you always have a group of people who are going to believe it. And I remember believing some of that stuff, you know, I would, because yeah. it's inspirational and it makes you feel good. And it's like, oh, you know you know, they almost got in, well, I also almost got in accident several times and didn't die and I didn't have Garmin, you know, like, I mean, you can just always, you can always find the same stuff outside. Inside and out, yeah. It it negates it, like, on the spot, you know. Someone, I wanted to jump in because this was a great question that was just asked. What did your daily life look like when you were part of the LDS? Um, how often did your membership in the LDS consume your mind and mental space? I thought it was an excellent question. It is, it is a very good question. And to be, um, is it for me or Cindy or both? Oh, go ahead, Juliana. This okay. is your, your conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so to be honest, it's a hundred percent. I mean, when you're LDS, it's like this mental you wear, you wear and every action you do, almost every action is second uh you know you have to think okay how would a good member of the church what would a good member of the church do i mean already it's it's laid out for you how you should live your life you should wake up and pray and have your read your scriptures and then you should you know go about your day but always have the lord in your heart in everything you do and then i mean really it's it's whether it's good or bad whether it helps people whether it makes people be better or not um sure but it is a fully controlled you know 
you're controlled. Like you are told how you should be, what you should act, what you should do. And then, and then you don't realize that you are because it's, it becomes a habit, you know, just like, and then you feel super guilty all the time because you're not a hundred percent doing what you should be doing. And so it's this thing. And for me, it was, it was okay. Cause I was, I wasn't like a guilt, you know, ridden person, but like my ex, for example, I mean, he felt guilty about everything because there's so many things you should be doing, like visiting your neighbors and, you know, doing this and doing that and doing your calling and being prepared and serving more. I mean, they'll, I mean, I've, I know some people who have had serious health issues because of how overworked they were by the church, because as long as you say yes, they'll keep adding on responsibility. It, it definitely bishop, is. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No. I was going to say, it's definitely a gospel of works, not of grace. Um, oh my gosh. And, and it's this perfectionistic thinking, a be therefore perfect, and you never can quite measure up. And it is always constantly thinking, what can I do better? What am I not doing? And then going to church and being told, you know, 20, 30 things every sacrament meeting of what you should be doing again, or, or conference, um, or wherever it is. Go ahead, you were saying about Bishop? I think... I think 90% of the bishop I had, I mean, I've, uh, in, in Belgium at least. So, and I was in Belgium from, you know, four years old until 18 years old before I, I came and studied here. But so I had, you know, a dozen of bishops. I think 90% of them left burnt out. They left the church, well, burnt out. And also they probably found out, you know, all the lies and stuff. But yeah. And what saddens me is to see the health of some of my friends um, that have gone through some really deep, hard issues. And I know that part of it is overwork. They mm -hmm. will overwork. They will never admit it. I know they will never admit it because they're like, oh, you know, it's the Lord's work. And, but I mean, ask, I'm sure that um, you, you, you know, um, oh, the, Mat the Matheson, you know, who were um, general, author uh, like general author area authorities in Europe. Um, you know who I'm talking about? Um, oh, his first name doesn't come, but it's the Matheson. So anyways, he, you know, he was in charge of all the different congregations and whatnot, but I'm sure he could, he could testify of that, how the bishops and the stake president and whatnot. I mean, they're, they're all about families, but these people have to spend so much time outside of their home to go and serve and do other things. And, you know, the, some of the, the families will say that they, they didn't see their father or they much or the mother was just constantly like busy bee right. you know right and and it's the thinking of so my dad was a bishop in um in ontario for a while when my brother and i were born um which is like a four-year time span and um my mother when she would get tired or say hey i want you home he would always say i wasn't there but this was what i was told was i'm doing the lord's work i know it's hard the lord mm -hmm. is going to give you more strength to get through this and it was you know, she, she became kind of resentful to be having these two little kids and he had a job and he was, he was doing yeah. the work um, th that he thought he was supposed to be doing and believed that she was going to get the support that she needed from God. And she was also Relief Society president at the time too. Mm -hmm. So that just this constant do, do, do was overwhelming. 
Yeah, and think of those of our six, seven kids or whatnot. Like, it, right. like I don't even well, know. Well, and we were number works. four and we were number four and five, so she had three others as well. Yeah, because you know, I mean, it's it's it kind of went away a little, but that mentality of having a lot of kids was also a big deal. Um, like if if you any of you listen to um, my podcast, like I have a, a a conversation with Dusty Rhodes. He's a scientist, a herpetologist, and and he grew up in a big family and. He's the only one I think who left. And of course, you know, he's looked down upon, but he grew up in a family like that. And at some point, you know, I kind of play devil's advocate, you know, cause it's like, oh, and I just resent, you know, the fact that my father, you know, we had this big family and he gave all the money, you know, like for tithing and stuff. I'm like, oh, why did he have so many kids to begin with, you know? And it's like, <laughs> well, he was, you know, <laughs> he's like, well, he was following, you know, the example of the prophet or whatever at the time. Cause you know, there is this even whether conscious or subconscious also however many you know kids the prophet has or you know the leaders have like you kind of have to match that or whatever like right not to say all the born kids we love you we're glad you're here so but right so in terms of um right now with COVID-19 are there things that are kind of triggering for you or things that are weird like I know um, food storage was a big thing. And, and right now in, in Utah, um, they're seen as the biggest hoarders um, of food. And it probably has <laughs> to do with food storage. Yeah. When you're thinking, oh, I don't have toilet paper, I don't have all the food. Are there things that are kind of triggering for you right now with the isolation, with, um, with everything that's going on? To be honest, um, it's funny that you say that because I talked to a friend in Utah right now, uh, yes, last night, and he was like, yeah, I have to go like at six in the morning because there's like a long line and people are hoarding. And, <laughs> and he's like, we have not very many cases and it could kind of not grow because, I mean, it's, it's not going worse or anything like that. Like, I think in some places... It's, it's definitely less than others, you know. And, and for uh, those who may not know, um, the LDS were, are, are told, we're told to have a year supply of food storage and toilet paper and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. So um, it, it can be a little triggering to see lines and to see that, that, you know, that we're out. But go ahead, go back. Yeah, and then I, yeah, and then I... Um, then I heard, and that could be a fake, you know, a fake saying or whatever, but someone unfortunately shared it with me that uh, the prophet would have said, so Nelson, like, yeah, if you've done that, you know, if you do your church at home and you have done your preparedness, then, you know, nothing bad will happen to you. But, you know, already I think most people will be okay just because that's the statistics. Most people who get it won't die from it. Period. So it's, it's not going to be. It's it's not going to be. It's not going to be. And and not to say it's very very sad when when death does does occur. But the majority is not going to die. And and then what what triggers me? <laughs> it's not so much what I have or don't have at home. Uh, what triggers me is the fact that the LDS Church is sitting on a hundred billion dollars, and all they find to say to their people is fast and pray instead of you know shining and, and giving away to those in need uh you know healthcare provider and, and teachers and kids who who go hungry and i mean there's just so much opportunity to help and the fact that they are just like lulling the people and waving their, their white handkerchief when they could be in the, the the first helpers you know of all these people who are screaming for help right now that is triggering to me 
yeah, and, and I wouldn't know. say anything unless people would just bombard my Facebook with their quotes and whatnot about, you know, all the nice words they said. I don't care about the words they say. I want to see the action, you know, because, uh, yeah, that's where it's at. And for those who don't know, there was a story recently out that the LDS Church has $100 billion, and, um, and they've come out and said to everybody, we're going to have a 24-hour fast, go without food, continue paying your tithing, pray. Um, and so the, the trigger is, why are you not doing something with this $100 billion? Well, like yeah, I mean, you, go, you can go to Wall Street and Washington Post and whatnot. It's the, it's the fact also that they don't pay tithing on that and they just sit on it and it's just this growing, you know, wealth that, and then, yeah, it's money and it's, it's, it's real estate. Like, you know, I kind of scanned through like what was sold, you know, during conference, which I don't really care too much, but um they're, they're building all these temples all over the world in China and Dubai and this and that. And it's, it's like, I mean, it's corporation. It's like, it's money and real estate and you're buying your way in and, you know, and it's like, well, I hope at least that they'll use that if there is like some kind of, you know, uh, crisis or catastrophe in the world that they'll use these buildings to help people at least, you know, if, if it can serve somehow, sure. But if it's just, you know, <clears throat> Yeah, so, that, <laughs> so that is very triggering for you to, to see sweat that. wild wild country <laughs> okay <laughs> no you've seen it i'm talking i'm talking to the audience um i, I like, like gina's i like gina's question did you ever find um covid situation triggering in terms of feeling like maybe they were right um i'll answer that and i'll let you answer that i don't maybe they were right about what like that this is the apocalypse this is the second oh my coming gosh. so for I me know. So for Go me, ahead. it's not personally like that, but I do have family members who are saying that, and I, I'm seeing it on Facebook too, of, people's, of people in the church saying, see, this is the end of time. See, this is about right before the second coming. Um, you need to get back. Here is your time to get back. And for me, I'm like, uh, no. <laughs> so for me, I've worked through that already. How about for you, Joanna? Yeah, no, none of that stuff t speaks to me anymore. And I've always been in the mindset that, sure, the earth is going to be destroyed at some point. It's not going to be a second coming. It's us doing th that work. We're doing it. And, and if it does end and, and it's the end of the world, we created that. It's not about God destroying or coming with whatever, whatever. I mean, if anything... I do hope that coming out of this crisis, we will all be a little bit more mindful, a little bit more, you know, centered, even though um, things may or may not have been blown up. I don't know. Like, you know, the media, this and that, like I have my, cause I've looked at the numbers, you know, from previous years and, and in, it was like 32,000 people died of the flu, I think last year. And in the year before, there was a year where it was 62,000. I don't, I don't think in the U.S. alone, I don't know that we're going to reach that number. I, I hope not. And if we, you know, keep containing things, uh, hopefully everyone follows suit. Like it shouldn't even reach that number. And so I get that it's a novel virus and, you know, I'm, I'm glad we're quarantining because we're probably, you know, saving lives doing so. But to me, what I hope comes out of this is that people are a bit more mindful. I mean, some people live like this every single day, you know, 24 hours, seven, like in countries where it's a crisis all the time. You know, I hope that compassion will grow, that we will be more in touch with what matters most, our family, nature, you know, and, and stop being these busy, busy 
people destroying the earth, you know? And so right. if anything, I think it's, it's kind of a good thing that we are forced as a, on a global level to slow down and observe, just observe, mm-hmm. observe. How do you live? Observe what you do, what you're doing to, you know, your relationships and even looking into inside yourself. Some people are going stir crazy. I shouldn't laugh about it because it's not funny, but some of the stars are making you laugh because you can tell that they're so used to like having this big audience and all these entourage. And now they're like, Oh my gosh, you know, I'm dying alone in my bed. And I was looking at what was it? Who was it? Sharon Stone, like filming herself in her bed, like half naked. I'm like, what is wrong with you woman? Like, don't you have someone to call? Like, but they look so freaking desperate. I'm like, look inside. I mean, I don't mind being alone. Like I, well, maybe because I have kids, but I enjoy being by myself <laughs> like so, I'm, I'm at peace and comfortable you know I mean so I'm in touch are, with a lot of people but <laughs> how are you staying grounded Joanna how are you staying grounded during this time how are you kind of keeping at peace with yourself but what's going on for you so I have my big morning five that I you know I decided to kind of abide by like so i wake up i drink water i tend to forget to drink water and i think it's very important uh, that we drink enough water so water vitamin i meditate at least 10 minutes every morning i go running every morning i journal i write three things that were um the three best things that happened the day before like every morning i I write that and three things i want to accomplish today i try to tap into my creativity i love to write i need to finish my book that i started five years ago um i do my podcast i do try to connect with people especially people who are in pain um i make an effort to pick at least a couple of people every day who i know either have lost someone or or you know in some kind of pain they've lost a job or whatever it is um also because of the support group I do, you know, I try to reach out to the people there too. So that's how I keep myself grounded. And then to be honest, I can, maybe that's in my, the spirituality side of me. I feel like things tend to, when you stay positive or hopeful, things tends to work out in the end, mm-hmm. right? I'm still here. I'm still breathing. Things will work out. They don't look so great right now. Like, I don't know how things are going to, what's going to happen like I lost my job but I'm just one of 6.6 million or here in the U.S. like I'm not going to be like oh poor me look at me when everybody's in the same boat so you know I'm happy that you know the sun is shining I can go running I I live in a beautiful place so I mean where there is a lot of trees and, and nature there's cows and horses around here it's Texas right so I just make a point every day to find beauty around me you know, I also know that I could die anytime. Like I could get COVID and I could die. Who knows? I don't know. But I don't know if I could be that calm about it. (laughs) No, but in the meantime, but what are you going to do? Stress about it? How is that helping the situation? You know what I mean? Like, so I just, and and again, I think my experience of what I've just lived this past couple of years, losing, excuse me, the faith of my childhood, divorce my ex is gay you know my mom passed away like I I feel like I've been prepared um in a way for hardship and and so I I was just listening to a quote that um I think is in the the road less travel like um he so it's Peck I forget his I think it's Scott Peck but um so he said when we decide when we realize 
that life is going to be hard and we accept that fact, we stop worrying about it or questioning the fact that, like, yeah, life is hard. So what, you know, that also get, what are you going like to do a, about it? That, that's a Buddhist teaching as well. Yeah, what are you going to do is, about it? You have life, to accept, life is you suffering. can't keep on complaining and saying, oh, life is so hard. You know, yes, that's just a fact and just accept it. And, you know, and again, not to deny our feelings because I'm big about, you know, if you feel crappy, you need to, if you feel sad or angry, I mean, express it. Like I'm not saying repress everything or, or just pretend to be happy or whatnot. No, um, so it's, it's a roller coaster. So that's the kind of the concept of spiritual bypassing, which is sidestepping mm. tough feelings, sidestepping mm. grieving, using like prayer, fasting, reading scriptures, whatever. Um, so how do you kind of, and we were taught to do that. Look, look on the positive, read your scriptures right. more, fast more, pray more. So um, how do you make sure you're not spiritually bypassing and you're actually doing the work, that you're actually dealing with the hard feelings? And then we can move to some questions. Because people. I get depressed a lot. <laughs> I deal with depression. Like I, you see me all smiling and all that, but I have my moments and I get really depressed looking at, you know, the, the sad things in the world and the pain and even in my family, the fact that, but at the same time, I have my safety, um, how do you call them? Like floating floats, whatever you have on boats that's floating and that's, you supposed that's supposed to coping, save you. Coping mechanisms you kind of use, the... Yeah, I have my my tools, right? Um, that I know what to do to get myself out of there or out of the, you know, because mm -hmm. um, I've been there. I mean, I, I know personally on a very deep level, uh, I have anxiety attacks. I have depression at times, you know, thinking of those things. But I also have kids. And I also have, you know, people who love me around me and care about me and, you know, and, and also so many people who go through so much worse. Like I just force myself to, when I get there, it's important to be there and feel and, and be sad and be angry or whatever you want to be. But for me, it's also important to, to not dwell there because it's not helpful in the end. I mean, if you stay there too long, it's a handicap because you can't move forward. You can be, I can be, you know, uh, creating and, and doing positive things if I stay there in that, you know, sad and hopeless. In fact, <laughs> after watching that, that Netflix show, I was kind of very depressed, <laughs> Wild Wild Country, because it just shows like this necessity for people to follow a leader, just any leader. Like some people are just like, Tell me what to do because I don't know what to do. Yeah. And I don't know how people, to think this through. Yes, and don't people know how take to... opportunity that, you know, because it is. Like, I remember being in, and again, I don't want to paint it as it was. Like I said, for me, it wasn't horrible to be a member of the church. Like, I wasn't, I, was, I didn't even leave, like, racism. Like, some people like, oh, was, didn't you, you know, weren't people racist because you're a black woman and, you know, and, and the priesthood and this and that. For some reason, I did not live that. And I was at BYU and I had a good time because I was very Mormon and, you know, and all the country. Like, I think people were giving me more attention and, like, making me feel special because I was different, you know? Yeah. Which I didn't mind at the time. But, like, I didn't have that. Like, I have 
I still, my roommates, I'm friends with my roommates from, from BYU and whatnot. Like we don't believe the same things, but, and I think one thing is that I've also looked at people as people and not just, you know, the ones that who were like my friends because I was a member, they're not around <laughs> and, they, and I don't care. Like if that was the, you know, the, the reason for our friendship, like I don't need you around, but the people I've, I've what was close to, I mean, the hardest was my, my best friend in Belgium. She's still a very active member, but she also kind of lives it her own way. But it created friction for a while because I was also trying to tell people, you know, how can you be in this church that just tells so many lies and whatnot. But you know what? For some people, it works. And for some people, it's their lifeline and they don't know how they would live otherwise. And I have to respect that. You yeah, know? it's their comfort, it's their strength, it's what they yeah. need. And, and they believe it. They, they thoroughly, deeply believe it's true. And that's their choice. You know, I, well, I, I swallowed okay. the red pill. <laughs> and I'm okay with that as long as they're not trying to push it on right. people or right. people who are leaving from their families telling them it would be better you weren't born or you should live it. This right. Way. Right. And that's why I say like my friends who are still very, you know, believing members, they, they respect that. I respect them. I don't try to push anything on them. They don't try to push anything on me. Um, we have that understanding and we, we love each other at a, at a person level. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's beyond church. Like it's, it's beyond that. And it, it's, um, it's a person to person connection, not yes. if you're a church person to church. Yes. Person which is very yes. much more superficial. So um, yeah. let's kind of wrap this up. Um, okay. Let's see, Ashlyn, it looks like you- Yeah, it looks like we got some great Q&A. Um, someone mentioned, and I love, thank you guys for being so supportive who have been attendees through this video. They said, thanks so much for saying that. I'm still working through that concept. Um, mm -hmm. And I- Which I concept are we talking about? I, it may have been, it like just came through. So it may have been what you were talking about instead of looking at the church person, a church person, mm -hmm. you're looking at the person, a person, but I could be mm -hmm. wrong. Please correct me. Submitted that. Um, Gigi just put that through just as we were saying that. So mm -hmm. I think that's what you were saying. Yeah. Um, someone else asked a really good question. Do you feel like going through the process of learning to question the church and its authority has made you more inclined to question other forms of authority, like the media or the scientific epidemiologic data supporting the COVID-19 response? Have there been long-term effects on your ability to trust institutions? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I get really scared real fast when I feel like I'm going to be trapped in some kind of like <laughs> group of, you know, group think this is how we think and this is how everybody should think. I kind of put a stop like almost right away. I think I feel, I feel pretty lucky that I do have uh, family and friends pretty much all over the world. Like I talk to Singapore and Dubai and Belgium and you know, uh, different places in the world, like Israel, Israel. And so I get information from all over. And so I'm able to kind of see what other people, how other people are seeing the situation. Um, and I, I take everything with a grain of salt. I do, you know, tend to listen more to, you know, what the CDC will say. Um, I'm not paranoid, but I don't, I don't trust easily, especially leaders, like politicians and whatnot. Like, on any side i don't easily trust people and, and organization and religions 
Mm, I can't. Well, <laughs> I can't I go say, to I wish you too. I mean, that's understandable. Yeah. I yeah. just, yeah, no. <laughs> but my trust level is very low, and I will question, and I yeah. will read. Yes. And it's, I appreciate yeah. people in the group, like in my support group, and I love that. We have a whole spectrum of some people who have found a different church, some people who are atheists, some people who are agnostic, some people are spiritual. And I respect everyone because it's a personal journey and everyone needs to just be where they feel they belong. Or, But as far as I'm concerned, I have like zero desire to belong to like a church or congregation or anything like that. I'm just, and it doesn't mean I'm antisocial. I have plenty of friends and I love to go out and do stuff and whatnot, but it, I just want to kind of roam free and not have anyone tell me what to do or think or whatnot. Well, and you mentioned too that uh, someone commented, I love that you have friends all over the world. That's mm -hmm. so nice to have that perspective of people in other countries. Mm -hmm. I'm constantly questioning what information we are getting through the media, if it's correct mm -hmm. or false. What differing mm -hmm. views have you gotten from your friends in other countries? I think that's a great question. Well, um, unfortunately, <laughs> I kind of have to push back a lot because they see the, the, the U.S. as a hot, hot mess, maybe beyond what it actually is. But anywhere in the world, my friends are like, what the heck are you doing there? <laughs> <laughs> and I have to be like, it is not as bad as what you see in the media. It's the same for them, right? They are being fed all the crazy stuff happening here. But for the most part, even here in Texas, where it seems like every other shooting is here in Texas or whatever, like we've had really bad publicity this year. And so, and I live right here. And so I constantly am like, kind of look down on. So it's good for me to push back. Um, um, you know, it's, it's a bit... It also shows how alike we are. No matter where in the world, we worry about the same thing. We, we go through the same struggles, and especially now, we go through the same struggles. I mean, we are all quarantined, and we're all trying to sift through, you know, what media comes at us. Um, but the biggest thing is, yeah, their perspective of us is just not great. <laughs> um, and, and again, um, you know, and, and it's the same, I think what we have seen, for example, in Italy and Spain and Portugal, like I, I have a cousin who lives in, in Portugal, so that's very close to Italy. She's actually half Italian, but like these things are true and they're taking things seriously. Like Spain is, you know, fining people for walking on the street when they don't need to, like $600 and they can go to jail. Like they, because they also don't have the type of resources uh, that we have. Like they're not, you know, as, as big and whatnot. And so it can really fast create some, uh, you know, some huge crisis like they've seen in Italy. So they, they seem in some places to take things a bit more seriously. Um, you know, maybe, I don't know. And, and I loved uh, watching what was going on in, in Hong Kong, that they have been able to just repress almost all of it. I mean, they have what, 600 or 700 case total and very few deaths because they started wearing masks like right away you know not even gloves just masks and and it worked so i wish we would as you know the us i'm i'm not a citizen my kids are 
Um, I wish we would learn a bit faster from other places. I feel like because it's such a big country, sometimes there is this sense of, oh, we know it all. We have the answers. We know what to do. And then look, you know, you, you now first, you know, uh, on the charts because, and France is a bit the same, but there's that lack of humility of learning from those who've made things work because we, we think we have all the answers because we're the best, you know, and when I say we, I don't really include myself, but you know, the U S. Well, and that may um, echo what you experienced in the church as well was we mm -hmm. have all the answers, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and very similar. That's why they like each other. Sure. Um, mm -hmm. I think, and I think this is a really good question to end on. I think we've gotten through just about everyone. The only question that I have left is, did you ever see that the message of love and compassion was constantly preached, but in reality, the leaders practiced the opposite, using guilt, shame, and fear to oppress and control? How do you process that while still living in the group? And I kind of think this goes along with you talking about cognitive dissonance and learning mm -hmm, what mm -hmm. cognitive dissonance was. Um, would you like to elaborate on that a little bit? Um, okay, I'm not sure if I understand the question properly. So it's basically from the pulpit, they preach, you know, love your neighbor, but then yes. uh, in reality, uh, it's a lot of oppression. I think yes. yeah. they, they have the perfect system to, to keep people under control, which is, you know, serve each other, do things for one another, uh, have all these callings, make sure no one's forgotten. But the ultimate goal is to keep people inside of the very small circle, which, you know, it's a worldwide millions of people circle, but the ultimate goal isn't, I mean, yeah, celestial kingdom is like, you know, the carrot being kind of dangled you know like and my bishop tried that on me when i was like i'm out of here it's like you know you're putting your whole family your et the eternal salvation of your whole family on the line i'm like well i don't believe that so that's not gonna work but um there is always something because they know it has to be something bigger than them so it uh, it it keeps you from looking elsewhere than where they want you to look and yes because you're serving your own people you always feel like you're doing something good you know if you teach your little lesson on sunday and you go and bring some hot bread to your neighbor like you, you oh you know i'm a good christian look what i'm doing you know that's why i see and you know what it works for some it works for some but i'm still serving when when i can i'm still doing things where i can i don't need someone to tell me i need to do it um or a church or you know some kind of organization i think ultimately we choose who we want to be and finding that authentic voice you know devoiding ourselves from everything we've been given because from the moment again we're born we're told this is how you should be this is how you should act this is what you should believe so it takes time to take out all of these things that have been placed in us and to realize that ultimately we are our own master. We can choose what we want to believe. We can choose to be true to our own truth. And yes, it comes at a cost, you know, again, to, to take the, the matrix as an analogy, but I chose the red pill and I'm glad I did, you know, 
Well, and I, I want to thank you, Juliana, for sharing your story. Um, you were so transparent and that authenticity really shined through. Um, so thank you for that. And for, you, you know, there's Juliana. a sense of vulnerability. Like even, even if you are in a place where you do feel, you know, quite comfortable in sharing or what have you, it's still a vulnerable um, experience. And um, I know a lot of people, I've had comments coming through, people really appreciated um, your talk today and participating and thank you Cindy for kind of guiding her along in her story it it just seamlessly flowed honestly and so thank you to both of you um, and I just you know it's it's a bummer that the Dallas event has been moved to September but it's been really cool to hear Dallas speakers um, who were going to participate come on and share um, yeah. and, and so, next week we're going to have three more that, yes um, we'll be having conversations again 